Today is Friday, October 1st, 2021. If you love life, don't waste time, for time is what life is made up of. Bruce Lee. You're listening to episode 262, Productivity and the Divine Feminine with Lucas Root. So um, the biggest misconception that I see um, all the time, and there's so much data out here that turns this on its head and nobody's paying attention, is that you can be consistently productive all day. Mm. It's the biggest misconception that I see. And, yeah. and it's, it is just simply not true. The, the, the Silicon Valley developer mentality, it, it's, it's broken. It, it never worked. It was never good. It was never effective. The idea that you can sit down and pound out work for 16 hours nonstop, it's absurd. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Happy Friday to you. Thanks for being here with me as always. Have a great guest to share with you today. His name is Lucas Root, and for over 17 years, he's led numerous operation teams for various corporations on Wall Street for mergers and acquisitions. After establishing a constant track record of success, he started his own consulting business and left his corporate job. Since then, he's worked with some of the world's strongest brands, including Wells Fargo, AIG, Bird, and the Pokemon Company, with whom he's still working. A little over a year ago, he felt called to begin sharing his experience and approach to a wider audience, and this led to speaking and business mentoring. He's spoken to numerous audiences in North America, Australia, and Europe on topics of working from home and how to build the skills, routines, and tool sets in your day to create and sustain productivity in whatever you're doing. Lucas is also the co-founder of the Goddess Providence Program that helps people tap into their divine feminine and masculine energies, hone their intuition, and embody healthy feminine empowerment. If you want to get in touch with Lucas or connect, go to www.lucasroot.com. That's spelled L-U-C-A-S-R-O-O-T dot com. Pretty straightforward. I'll put a link for it on the show notes. Again, this is episode 262. Very excited to have Lucas on the show today. His extensive experience working in operations strategies and what he's learned about productivity, as well as consulting people on a regular basis and speaking abroad. You know, very interesting life. I'm very excited to pick his brain about what he's learned on all these things. And especially now with the whole coronavirus thing that's that's happened and gripped the world in the last year and a half, you know, it's uh, or more actually in this case. It's, it's been a better time than ever to adapt and work from home. And in that sense, productivity is very important because it's easy to get distracted. So a lot of very relevant things. We're also going to be chatting about his recent project, uh, the, God, the Goddess Providence, and what he's learned from helping people get in tune with their healthy masculine and feminine energy. So important. 
as well. I think these are very, very important topics. So very excited to jump into a little bit of variety here today. But before we do that, make sure you hit that subscribe button, like, share, leave a review, whatever it is you want to do today. And away we go. Let's do this. Episode 262, Productivity and the Divine Feminine with Lucas Root. man well hey it's so uh so fun to have you on the show a pleasure to have you i'm very excited you've got quite an interesting life i'm very excited to pick your brain you you've been uh been everywhere you've been traveling you've been speaking you've been doing business stuff you have gotten into um, a lot of the spiritual aspects which uh you know we'll talk about that too with the divine feminine and goddess providence so very excited thanks for being on the show my pleasure thank you for having me i'm curious you know how did what what made you because you had quite an extent i mean i was looking at your um your stats for basically what you were doing in wall street and, and corporate world and they're pretty impressive man i mean you have quite the the resume when it comes to you know productivity and increasing you know um saving companies a ton of money and all that good stuff so i'm curious you know that was obviously a very lucrative career for you very developed in that field what what clicked for you that you felt, okay, let me kind of switch gears and reposition here and, uh, you know, kind of broaden my message and, and just get into speaking and obviously working with people the way you work with them now, uh, starting your goddess providence program, you know, kind of just going in those directions, which are a little bit off the beaten path. I'm sure you're using your skills, but they're a little bit off the beaten path of the corporate world. So how did that, that, how did that whole change happen for you? Yeah, that's an, that's a fun question. So, um, <laughs> Leaving Wall Street actually had always been my plan. Okay. And and I'm not going to lie, I got lured in a little bit by the money and and stayed yeah, there I'm longer sure. than I really planned to. Um, and you know, that's how these stories end Wolf up Wall getting Street told, style. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, the money is good. Yeah. Um so you know, when I when I entered into Wall Street, I my plan was really get into the mergers and acquisition side, which I did, learn how to, you know, strategize the execution of a company, strategize the operation, strategize how to put it together so that it will run well efficiently, um, learn from really friggin' smart people. And yeah. I did. And these guys are absolutely amazing. I, I, you know, I've sat at tables. This is not a joke. I've sat at tables that had over a thousand years of experience at the table. Wow. That's crazy. You know, 30, 40 people that have 50 years of experience each. Wow it's, it's quite extraordinary. And what and, was that like? I mean, just being, I mean, they say, you know, be the, what is it? Be the dumbest person in the room all at all times. If you want to learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. That's, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I try to, I try to be the dumbest person in the room, you know? Um, yeah. and it's great. Like the, the world opens up so much when you're constantly looking to soak in whatever you can. It's, it's, it's incredible. So that, I mean, that was always my plan. Spend 10 years just soaking up everything these incredibly smart, incredibly experienced people have to, to, to give and, and, you know, pay my dues in a way mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of earning that knowledge from them and then leave. And uh, it, instead of it being 10 years, it took 17 because <laughs> <laughs> I got sucked in by the money and I don't mind admitting it. Yeah. Um, well, but, you know, those things are useful too. I mean, they, they help uh, build other things that are maybe, you know, not as profitable at first. They're a little more heart driven, you know, so I think that's important too. 
Absolutely. You can't yeah. serve the world if you don't have money. Like, yeah, no, hundred percent. Your, your reach is only as far as, as your arms plus your liquidity. And if your liquidity <laughs> nice. is zero, then you just have your arms. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Yep. Did you make that one up? I did just on the spot. <laughs> nice. That's, that's actually really good. <laughs> your reach is only as far as your arms and your liquidity. I love that. Yep. That's good. Um, so yeah, having, having some money really does significantly impact your capacity to drive value creation, whatever, whatever value creation is important to you. Maybe it's in divine feminine, which is something we're going to bring up, or maybe it's in divine masculine. Maybe it's in, you know, um, helping out with child labor in, in whatever country it's happening in, like yeah. more or less every country. <laughs> Who said that quote, it was like the first half of your life you should spend, uh, making lots of money. And then the second half you should spend giving it all away. I forget who said that, but that's what I'm reminded of now is what you said. It's like, you need that, you need that hustle and grind to some extent, right? I mean, you need, you need that foundation, materialistic foundation. I mean that in the sense of like, you need that physical, you know, capital and, and uh, foundation to be able to do some of these more ethereal, you know, very fulfilling things like going and building schools or, you know, like you said, whatever, uh, whatever you're passionate about. Yep. And I mean, there are multiple different ways to arrive there. You, you could, you could hustle and grind by chasing your heart and still doing serious hustle and grind. I mean, mother Teresa comes to mind. Like she, she didn't have a whole lot of commit of liquidity herself, but as her career progressed, she became you know, she found herself or put herself in positions where she was commanding liquidity because of who she was and what she was Mm. doing. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole, uh, topic of reputation, right? How that's like pretty much kind of the, one of the most important currencies we have is our reputation and, and building that reputation through our relationships and maintaining our relationships. And in many ways, I think that's even probably more important than, obviously your, your liquidity, I mean, liquidity is important too, but having a good reputation and being able to leverage relationships, I think is probably even more important. In its own way. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. buy a reputation if you have, <laughs> right. if you yeah. have $50 million and you go buy a building at, at, you know, the, yeah. the local university, like that's buying a rep that counts. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's, it certainly is one or the other. One or, or the both. other, meaning reputation or liquidity? Yep. Hmm. Yep. Well, so what what changed for you that you wanted to, I mean, when you did get to it 17 years later, you know, being in Wall Street, what uh, what clicked for you that you're like, all right, you know, like I'm I'm satisfied with this kind of journey. I, I'm satisfied with, with the money and that whole experience. I want something more. I want something different. You know, what, what clicked for you there that... that catalyze that change? Yeah. Um, a couple of things. I, uh, I, I, I started a couple of businesses on the side as many people do. Um, and one of them failed spectacularly and sort (laughs) of the, the lessons that I learned coming out of that helped me to see what some of my strategic approaches to my career and my life were, were missing. How often do you hear that story, right? Yeah. I, I did I did this little thing and it taught me that I was doing everything wrong. <laughs> Always. I mean, that's well. just how it works, right? <laughs> yep. So uh, it was actually a real estate business. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I was trying to build the business with a 100% strategy 
um, hands off. Like if I do it right by the numbers, then it's all going to work. Yeah. Um, very wall street mentality. And what, what I was missing was the fact that it, and this is what many people miss in the connection between the money and the execution from a wall street perspective. What I was missing was that somebody has to carry out that vision and that somebody has to be just as committed to the vision as the strategist. Mm. Um, so I built the business, it was going well. And then a couple of key people left and because I wasn't hands-on, I couldn't replace them fast enough. And the business fell apart completely overnight, fell apart. Wow. Um, and I was, I was pretty beat up by that. And it, it took me about two years, that, that was 13 years into my career. So it took me about two years to recover from that. Um, so I'm now 15 years into my career and this is seven years ago now or eight years ago. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I, I get it now. Like I see, I see the picture that I've been missing. Like before it was an outline. Now it's a painting, mm. maybe not a good painting that that's up to everyone else to decide. It's got right? some color in it for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so uh, it, I was like, it's, it's time. It's time for me to move on. Uh, it's time for me to take these skills that I've been working really hard to build and bring them out to the world which was again, always the plan. I'm, I'm there. It's time. And it, yeah. it, I, I launched my consulting business, which I still, uh, run and I still serve clients through. Nice. Um, and it took me a little while to, to really get my feet under me. Um, so I did the half in half out approach, which, which was okay for me. And that, that works if you have a really well-established network that's ready for you. What do you mean by half in half out approach? I didn't quit wall street. Oh. Like I oh, didn't quit I my job. Like I, I launched my consulting business while I was still working my job and I waited until my consulting business was growing fast enough that gotcha. it would be able to support me. Um, now I still, I did quit before the consulting business was making me enough to support me, but I knew that it was going to get there. I, I, yeah. you know, the writing was on the wall. Why, why did you end up quitting before? I mean, some people would wait obviously till they're everything's safe and, you know, aligned uh, but I find in my own situation, same thing. I ended up uh, transitioning and in, back into entrepreneurism, you know, when I definitely wasn't ready. You know? So, uh, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. So in your case, why, why did you end up quitting right before you were quote unquote ready, you know, as, as yep. planned? Almost a year before actually. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was living off savings for, for a full year. Wow. I mean, not entirely. Like I had some, I had some income from the, from my consulting, but it, but it took a year before it caught up. Um, uh, one, I had savings, so I could, um, and, and I, I could see the pipeline. I understood the way the business was growing. I was approaching it from what I felt was the right direction and history at the moment suggests that I was correct. Yeah. Um, and mostly I'd gotten to the point where it was too much to have the two. And I, you know, and this is just the inevitable flow of half in, half out, right? Yeah. One foot in, in both rooms. You, eventually you get pulled too hard by both directions and, and you just have to know that's coming and be ready for it. That's so true. You know, I mean, and it's so funny because I find that, uh, like in my case, the last job I had, I was several years ago, but I had been there for about seven years. And it was kind of, I mean, I wasn't even at a job really. It was almost like I was having my own business and kind of working as a contractor, but, you know, <laughs> paying taxes, you know, mm -hmm. it was that kind of situation where you're making sales and stuff. And, uh, and I found that the more I grew spiritually, it was such a, 
profound experience because initially it was a very small company. And so you, you know, you kind of, um, at the time when I started that situation, I was a very different person. Obviously I was much younger and I felt very much, um, swooned or swayed by, you know, sort of the camaraderie and, Oh, you know, I'm buddy, buddy with the boss, you know, it's like all these sort of social needs that, um, and I, I've been in other situations, you know, people, I'm sure people can relate to this where a lot of times you're in a situation where you're out of alignment with that situation, but there's certain needs, right? Psychological needs that that situation provides that sort of obscure the actual cost of that situation, you know, and that was the case in my case. But the interesting thing was to your point about sort of these two forces, you know, pulling, pulling you apart. I hadn't even necessarily started my own business or anything. Um, but I did start my podcast while right a few months before I ended up quitting. And I felt that I was changing. And as I was changing, I was starting to see things that I never saw before. I was like, wait a minute. Like, Mm. I don't agree with a lot of things that you're doing. (laughs) I don't agree with practically anything. You know, you start changing spiritually and then pretty soon, like you you just feel more friction and friction and friction. And then like you said, you know, you, it pulls you in a direction where you can't, it just, I couldn't do it anymore, you know? So it's interesting how that happens. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. I hope so. If yeah. not, maybe we can recommend that they put themselves in that position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think, uh, you know, everybody's different. Obviously some people just quit, you know, and you just go for it. Some people like to take their time and, you know, obviously transition. And that's obviously important too. I mean, I, I ended up having a plan, but, uh, you know, in my situation, I ended up getting fired before my plan was even fulfilled because whatever, it was just so much drama and, you know, it doesn't really matter. But the point is like, when I ended up finishing that situation, I was like, oh crap, like, what am I going to do? You know, like this is, this is like panic mode, you know? So, but it was a good experience. I'm very grateful for it because it also taught me a very important skill, I think. And you can tell me what your experience with this has been, um, in, in, in that, I think as an entrepreneur, especially you need a sense of faith. And, and, I, and I mean, like that things are just going to work out. You, you have that sense of like, there's a greater intelligence that's organizing my life. And, you know, I'm co-creating with that intelligence. There's, there's, there's a sense that I don't have to control everything and that I can surrender and, and align with, you know, the, that the idea that everything's happening for me, you know, and I think that's very important as an entrepreneur, especially because of the risk that's involved with being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You don't have that sort of, you know, uh, whatever paycheck or whatever else. Right. I mean, so it's all on you. And so I think having that sense of faith is so much more important. And so I'm curious what your experience has been with that whole idea through, through your career and, you know, all the changes that you've had. Um, huge. I I would add, um, I I agree faith or conceit. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, the conceit is, is not so much my approach, but I see it and, yeah. I, you know, and I don't fault it. I'm not saying that from a position of judgment, but, you know, certainly there are people that don't enter into entrepreneurship from a faith perspective, more like I am the master of the universe and <laughs> nothing can stop me, Yeah, which is great. I love seeing that. Um, those are, I think, tend to be more the people that quit cold turkey and go 100% head first into yeah, their true. Yeah. Um, but, but yes, for me, faith is a, is a very strong driver in more or less everything. Like, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at all of the paths that are available to me and I'll be like, I, I could, 
I could walk any of these. Like, how do I yeah. pick which one's right? And, you know, you, you, you seek inward and you're like, one of them's going to work. And you just sort of close your eyes and start walking and you see where you end up. Like, um, a metaphor I use when I talk about faith for, and, and this is a universal metaphor is that, um, you cannot walk. And I mean this mechanically, you cannot walk without faith Mm. because in order to walk, and this is again, mechanical, you have to pick up your foot, put it out in front of you and fall onto it. Hmm. That's true. That's actually very true. Yeah. It's uh, so funny. Never thought about that, but that's true. You have to, you have to fall forward, right. (laughs) To be able to move. You have to go off balance to move period. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love about movement too. I mean, with my background in movement, I was very grateful that I was able to study it, you know, and really kind of get into it. I think everybody should have some, some movement practice in their life. I think whether it's meditation, Mm -hmm. yoga, karate, dancing, whatever it is, I think anything that gives you a sense of um, awareness of your body and what you just said, like these principles, that are so simple, but just so powerful. You're like, yeah, you know, that's the way the world works. Like, you have to go off balance if you want to move. And so what does that mean in my business? I have to, you know, not be obsessed with perfectionism, just take action, like be willing to go off balance and that way you'll move. <laughs> so uh, I, I love that stuff. That's so cool with the yep. walking. Yep. And it's, and faith, I mean, that in, in that particular metaphor, there are a bunch of different things that you have to have faith in for it to work. I have to have faith in the ground that it will hold up my foot. I have to have yeah. faith in my leg that my, that my leg will be able to capture my strength and hold me up. Like, like there's a, there's a bunch of pieces of that. Like you just have to have faith and, and, and this is even bigger. You can't stop and think about every step you take. Otherwise you just take mm. too damn long. <laughs> like Very true. Yep. Yeah, you know, that's the whole uh, analysis paralysis, right? I mean, you, you get to the point where you're thinking about everything, and you know, you don't you never move off the spot. You know, I yeah. think a lot of uh, a lot of people, especially like I said, entrepreneurs are, that's a challenge for sure, because you, you have to have systems and analyze. I mean, I'm sure you're very familiar with that, you know, with the, a lot of the analytical work that you've done. I mean, you know, that's a big part of success. You, you need that part. But then, you know, how do you balance that? And this this will be a good question for you because you do have a lot of experience in that area. I'm sure that you have at some point in your life, your mind has run away on you, like being way too analytical, right? Especially with all the things that you've been doing. Um, So how did you learn to balance those two inherent opposites? You know, because you you have such a strong background in analysis and, and doing that. And also, you know, some of the recent stuff you've done. So I'm really curious uh, because I've always found that to be a fun dance, a fun, uh, you know, challenge to be able to, how do I balance these two? Like I need to be, have systems in my business. I need to have, you know, strategies and processes and all these analytical things. But at the same time, I also need to use my intuition. I need, I need to move. I need to stop thinking. Right. So how do you find that balance? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, you get beat up enough times and you start to pay attention to the patterns. And, mm. and I mean that both in the really like visceral way and yeah. the analytical side, like all of my biggest successes have been um, very much like, this is something I just want to do. Like, I just want to do it. I had a, I had a, a consulting client that if I had stopped and done the analysis on it, I, I would have walked away. Like it just, it, there's no good way to get to the other end of the result that we got to, but mm. we did it. Um, this was a, a winery 
that came to me and said, you know, we're barely breaking even, and this isn't the life we want to live. And like the wine industry is fucking hard. Like it's oh, a yeah. hard industry. Well, especially and, now I wonder how that's been impacted with all the recent crap, but anyway. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and from an analytical perspective, there's, there's nothing that you can do to help them. But mm. on the other end of working with them, we'd increase their profit margins by 50 per, like huge, wow. 50%, like an enormous amount. What did you guys do? Um, I reduced the density of their grapes. Wait, what? Yes. What? <laughs> I'm not We're kidding. Talking genetically uh, alteration here or what's no. going on? No, we moved into biodynamic. So um, sort of one step even more organic than the organic label. Wow. Um, reduced the density of the grapes, brought in animals. Um, so we could stop using synthetic fertilizers, um, but they had to be very carefully chosen animals. Um, so, I mean, everything that we did was wrong. I mean, really, truly, everything we did was wrong. You can't bring in animals. You can't plant grass. Grass will steal nutrients from the vines. Like, but we basically took all of what the industry does, turned it all on its head and increased their profitability by massive amounts. Wow. That's but crazy. That's so interesting. Analytically, there was no way to arrive at that answer. Mm. Like you sit down, you look at the numbers, you look at who's succeeding in the wine industry. That path was not, it didn't exist. You couldn't yeah. have done that. But I just wanted to work with them. I was like, I just, I don't, I don't see the path, but I trust that there is one. And I really want to do this on the flip side. My real estate business was a hundred percent analytical and it's my biggest failure. <laughs> <laughs> like the numbers were perfect. It was making 50 grand a month in cash flow before it wow. belly up and, and dropped its ton of bricks on my head. Like from an analytical perspective, that was the perfect place to be. And yet it's one of my biggest failures. That's so interesting. Um, so that sort of the, as you continue to move forward and engage with life, and for me, a lot of, I, I work a lot. So a lot of my life experiences are in the projects that I do. Um, as you engage more and more with life, you just can't ignore your, your experience, your experience of these are the things that are working and these are the things that aren't. And for me, the more that I engage with what I'm sort of called to do from my soul, even if it just doesn't make sense, the more effective, the more value I create, you know, it's just, it's just better. And I like yeah. it more too. I found that too. And, and I think that's just a skill and we can talk about that a little more because I think using your intuition, allowing intuition to speak to you, you know, getting downloads, all these things that we talk about. I think that's such an important skill for success because it, you know, you, you can't, your mind looks at certain variables, obviously, to, to constantly predict what's happening, but it's such a limited calculation because, I mean, I can tell you, and I'm sure you can relate to this too, that there's been so many times in my life, like literally, like I will be absolutely certain that something's going to happen in a certain way. <laughs> and it's like, not at all what I expect. You know what I mean? Not at all what I expect. And then I realize, oh, okay, I, I see now why. But it's just like, you didn't see that when you were, um, you know, looking at the situation from an analytical perspective. So, I mean, with intuition, you know, how have you learned to uh, listen to your intuition? How, and is there anything specifically that you do maybe every day that allows you to tune that in? Because the work you do is very analytical. I'm sure with the consulting and, and consulting business, I mean, you have to be really creative about how to create those solutions. So 
how do you um, not let your brain spin off too much in that area mm-hmm. and kind of come back into your intuition? Is there anything you do specifically? There, like, I, I guess it's a two-part question. <laughs> there yeah. is. I, I definitely have daily practices that help me come back into my body and out of my head. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're really important. <laughs> Um, one of them, probably the easiest one for, for anyone who's listening to do to replicate is, um, I go outside for at least a half an hour every day and the further North you are, maybe the shorter this is going to be. And I stand barefoot on the ground. Oh, wow. Okay. Now I was born in Northern Vermont and raised there. Um, and it gets cold in Northern Vermont. And I did that then too. Wow. Barefoot on the ground, even when it's deep winter and it's really fucking cold out and your, <laughs> your feet are screaming at you. But this, this connection to earth for, for me, at least this connection to earth was so elemental, like really at the core of my being that that helps me from getting lost in my head. Yeah. That's really cool. I I've read some books about earthing and certainly there's, there is something very special about going outside. I mean, it sounds so, sounds so simple. And it's funny that we even consider that as like advice when that should be part of, you know, like your everyday life, I think, but right. uh, it's true. I mean, now we're, we're sitting in the house all day and working and slugging away at our spreadsheets and computers. And I think we forget to go outside and connect to that physical world, you know, and like you said, to get down in our bodies. And, and once you're in your body, it just seems like I don't know, you click into a different intelligence, you know, it seems like you just click into a new way of thinking, literally, and something else takes the wheel, you know? Yeah. And I can talk about that too, if that's the direction we want to go. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do want to jump into the goddess providence thing. But I, I want to ask you really quick about you published a book recently, right? Uh, I did. The Strategy Guide to Thrive, Failing Forward. Failing Forward. And that's is that an ebook only or a physical book too, or ebook only ebook only what inspired that book? Um, so as I was leaving wall street, this is something I sort of promised myself I would do and kind of like leaving wall street. It took me longer to get around to doing it than it should have. <laughs> it's a marathon for sure. Writing books. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, you, really, you really have to commit to it and, and make it part of your day. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like a collection of all the most, um, elemental strategic choices that you need to make in order to not fail tragically while you're starting a business. Mm. Doesn't, this doesn't guarantee that you will not fail, but it, it, these are like the big, huge potholes that like, you know, using the car example, like you're driving down the road. If you fall in this pothole, it's going to break your axle. And there is no more forward motion. Like there are plenty of other potholes, but these big ones are going to ruin the car. What's the highest consequence basically that you need to avoid? Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Nice. So examples of what's in there and it's, it's got lots of fun stuff, but examples of what's in there are make sure that you've got your bills covered. Seems elemental. Like, you know, are we talking like auto having them on auto payment basically, or just, basically making sure that they're covered at the end of the month. You, you personally make sure that you personally aren't going to run out of your own money mm. while you're starting your company. Cause starting a company is hard. It takes a huge amount of work. It's, it's always longer. It's always more painful than you think. Make sure that your bills are covered. Now that could mean that you're living at home with your parents. Yeah. 
that's a great way to have your bills covered, but not the only way. So like, make sure that you have your bills covered because you don't know how long it's going to be. Everybody thinks that it's going to be six months, right? And for, <laughs> for most people, it's probably more like three years. Yeah. Make sure you got your bills covered. That's very true. I mean, it's again, it goes back to the idea of like the mind being such a, uh, not a very good prediction tool when it comes to the regular world and its chaotic systems. I mean, there's just so many things that are, I mean, like with COVID, right? Who could have predicted COVID? I remember going on a, a cruise. It was like a, at the time I was still doing a lot of teaching and competing and I had got hired to go on a new year's cruise, you know, to basically go on. Yeah. It was, although I'll be honest with you, cruises are not my thing, man. I just, I thought it was going to be so cool. And it was just, I think I ended up actually getting COVID on that cruise because it was in the Caribbean. There was a lot of European people that had kind of come over from France and stuff. And I was sick like a dog and I was in a little sardine can. It was just, Oh my God, it was, it was not fun. But either way, when I remember coming home from the cruise, it's like, you're like, all right, 2020, cool. Like year of the future, you know, like who would on earth would have ever expected, you know, a change like that. So that's to your point. Um, You have a quote in there that, that I like. It's I believe on the cover of the book, it says the first step is not the hardest step. The next step is. Yeah. And can you kind of break that down and what that means to you? Yeah. So um, kind of going, I didn't even realize we were going to go here. So it's it's almost like we planned this, but this is great. It's yeah. going, going back to that metaphor of walking. It's, it is so easy to get lost in, uh, again, analysis paralysis and all the different ways that you arrive there on whether or not that first step that you're going to take is one that you'll survive. Hmm. Right. So um, I could I could test that the floor right in front of me actually can bear my weight. And there are ways that we can test that. And I could stand there on one foot and wait while that while that piece of the floor is tested and hit it with a hammer a couple of times, drop a 200 pound weight on it. Okay, I think we're going to be all right. But wait a minute. Was it stressed out by the fact that I was testing it? Will it hold up again? Drop a 200 pound weight again. But wait a minute. Was it stressed out by the second test? (laughs) Right. Analysis paralysis can literally go infinitely. And everybody knows that we think about that first step a lot. What we don't think about is the fact that once we've taken that first step, we're now at the beginning of a new journey. And the next step is your new first step. Hmm. And that's the piece that I think a lot of people miss. And that's the reason for example, for, for like advice, like make sure that you've got your bills covered because everybody makes sure that they are good for the next month. But what are you going to do three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, when your product is still in development because of delays here and delays there and design changes and, and uh, material challenges and you haven't even received your first test yet, let alone gone to market, right? What are you going to do 12, 18 months from now when the manufacturer is calling you up saying, you owe me some friggin' money and you're still trying to sell through your, you know, your inventory that's sitting in your garage right now. Like these are real legitimate challenges and making sure that you have your bills covered seems elemental for that first month, two months, three months, right? We think about that first step, but things don't get really hard until after that first step. And that's where that quote comes from. That's so true. I mean, uh, 
so, so true. Gosh, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I think especially if you're a perfectionist, I'm a recovering perfectionist. And, you know, I'm sure you can relate to it. It's just like, especially when so you, much. I, I think that the, it's like a, you know, double-edged sword because the more you learn about something and the more you uh, are detail oriented, you know, and, and if you are, then, you know, you, you want to learn every detail about something and you want to understand, okay, how does it go? But then it's sort of like you, <laughs> you kind of trap yourself because then you have more reasons to, to doubt yourself and to question. You have more questions. Every fucking new idea leads to another question, you know? So uh, it's almost like it's better to be ignorant so that you can just take action uh, and, you know, and move forward. I think there's a quote by uh, Colin Powell, maybe Colin Powell. Yeah. He says like, I, I only need like 70% of the information to, to take action. Anything more is just thinking too much or something like that. You know, I'm probably butchering it, but it's very true. You know, you, you're learning to have just enough to act. And that's, mm-hmm. that's really the key. Yep. I love that quote. That's so cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got to trademark that or something. <laughs> that's a good one. Probably yeah. not a bad idea. Shame yeah. on me. I didn't. <laughs> well, technically, I mean, I guess it's on your book. So that's copywritten technically, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. A lot of your talks, I'm curious, uh, you've been doing a lot of speaking across the world, apparently. That's pretty cool. On um, working from home. I bet that's been really popular in the last year and a half. So um, I'm really curious what, you know, what's your take on that? Like, what are, what are the opportunities right now that people have that maybe they didn't have? And also, I guess, what are some of the, the biggest challenges or misconceptions with working from home that that people need to get through? Mm, awesome question. Um, so it's a really, really good time to start changing corporate communication culture. That's, mm. the, that's the triple C right there, corporate communication culture. Um, so uh, a lot of times, like if you think about the way sort of white collar line work is set up. You, you sit in a desk and your boss is probably behind you where they can see through their glass window to make sure that you're sitting at your desk, right? Yeah. Which even if they're not actually coming and speaking to you, standing over your desk, it's a version of micromanagement. Yeah. It's, a, it's an acceptable version of micromanagement, but it's still a version of micromanagement. And the challenge is that you're never going to have full freedom of mind to be able to engage with depth with your work. So go back to Ford, right? There's a really famous uh, story about a, 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 um, a journalist who went to the Ford factory, walked through, saw this guy sitting like leaning back in his chair with his legs up on his desk. And he goes and tours a factory, comes back two hours later, and the guy is leaning back in his chair with his legs up on his desk. And they go out to lunch, he comes back, it's the same thing. So he goes to Ford and he goes, hey, what's the deal with this dude that's leaning back in his chair with the legs up on his desk? Like, don't you want him to work? And Ford goes, that guy has one or two ideas a year that earn me a million dollars. He can do whatever the hell he wants. That's hilarious. Wow. That's so funny. <laughs> I love that story. But yeah. My challenge at the corporate communication culture perspective is that nobody wants that guy on their team. Mm. Everybody wants the benefit, but nobody wants that guy on their team. Why? Hmm. I believe 
that we have come to the belief that that guy could have been just as valuable producing those amazing ideas for Ford and also filling up his day with paperwork, hmm. which is ludicrous. It's absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Like the, there's no way that you could do both of those two jobs, come up with amazing ideas and do paperwork all yeah. day. But, but our corporate culture believes that that's the case that you can. Hmm. Now you have to ask yourself a question. Do I want my team as a manager, do I want my team to engage with their brilliance or do I want them to get shit done? You can't have both. Hmm. And right now, because of the fact that most offices are working from home, it's, it's really stressing the micromanagement culture. It's really stressing that boss who wants to be able to see that his people are pounding on their keyboards all day long every day because he can't see it. It's stressing that, which I think is great. Yeah, that's very transformative. It's an opportunity to be transformative and we'll see how that works out. Like I'm not actually in one of those jobs. I can't see how my boss is responding. Like I work for myself. I am my boss. I've been that since before COVID, but, but this is an opportunity for that micromanagement culture to break. Hmm. What do you think are some, I guess, misconceptions that people have about working from home and, you know, if somebody listening right now that is not self-employed, somebody that's, you know, has a career, maybe works in an office, mm-hmm. what steps would they, could they take to, to leverage some of that, you know, and especially now that we live in an age where maybe it's more socially acceptable, I guess, to, to do that. I love it. So um, the biggest misconception that I see um, all the time, and there's so much data out here that turns this on its head and nobody's paying attention, is that you can be consistently productive all day. Mm. It's the biggest misconception that I see. And, yeah. and it's, it is just simply not true. The, the, the Silicon Valley developer mentality, it, it's, it's broken. It, it never worked. It was never good. It was never effective. The idea that you can sit down and pound out work for 16 hours nonstop it's absurd. Hmm. We're not computers. Um, the productivity curve for humans actually starts to dip at about 30 minutes. Wow. Really? Yeah. Now it when doesn't doing fall a single off a task cliff. or single task. Yeah. Wow. Now That's it doesn't fall off a cliff. It's not, you know, it's our, our productivity curve doesn't look like a square. It's, yeah. it's a gradual dip, but here's the thing. And, and if you think about it, you'll see that this is actually true. The thing is that as you move past that 30 minutes and don't take a break to allow your brain to sort of recenter itself and um, return its capacity to fire its neurons, right? Which has a cost. We know this. Yeah. The cost of exceeding that 30 minutes creates debt. Mm. I call it productivity debt. Wow. It's kind of like um, development debt, right? Where when you're in a project and you're working on something and you're a little bit behind, you have debt, right? Yeah. So let's say you work for 60 minutes nonstop. You didn't take the 30 minute break. Now you've accumulated some debt. Let's call it 10 minutes. Okay. You do that all day long. And at the end of an eight hour day, you've, you've accumulated eight 
different 10 minute debts that you have to pay back. You don't have a choice. Like your body will require you to pay this back. So you go home and you're like, all right, I'm going to sit down on the couch and chill. Well, you've got 80 minutes of productivity debt that you need to repay to your body now. Mm. And it turns out that the average person sits there on their couch for 80 minutes, for an hour and a half, paying back their productivity debt. But they don't think about it this way. So what I've been bringing to people's minds is that this is exactly what's going on. And if you cut yourself at that 30 minutes, you don't have to pay at the end of the day for an hour and a half for that accumulated productivity debt. And instead you get to move right directly into the next thing that you want to do. Hmm. And that's, I think that's, I mean, I'm hundred percent agree with you on that. And especially, and it's a, it's a challenge too, sometimes, especially if you're an entrepreneur, because I mean, like, for example, when I was, and you could relate to this cause you've written a book when I wrote my last book, which is just a freaking monster, never doing it again. But when I, you know, you know what it's like, like you have to channel, <laughs> you have to channel pretty much that information and, you know, it's, it, it is hard to work in those breaks sometimes, but I'm a hundred percent with you because you look at nature. I mean, animals, everything is done in sprints. There's no like, you know, cardio in, in nature. Everything's like sprint over here, get some food, rest a little bit, sprint over there, you know, maybe check something out. Okay. Rest, you know, and it's just like these little spurts of activity between high intensity and then zero intensity or low intensity. And I think that's just the, you know, formula for success in anything. That's how you train your heart. That's how you, you know, become productive, like you said, but I'm curious though, how do you like for, for that issue that I just brought up, you know, for, for people that were you, were you are obligated to channel you know, like, for example, again, writing a book or doing something creative or, you know, any number of other million tasks that are similar, but where you have to just sit down and like, there's, if I, if I stop for 30 minutes, every 30 minutes, I'm going to lose my flow. So mm-hmm. how do you balance that with sort of getting in the zone and sort of just riding the wave, however long that wave is, um, I guess, cause I don't know. How do you, how do you balance that? Uh, a couple of different ways. Once you know that you're paying, um, it's, it's far easier to allot your energy to payment for that. Right. So, um, first of all, 99% of the activities that you think you need to be in flow for two or three hours, you don't. You can get out of flow. You can take your 30 minutes break, get back into flow, get back into productivity, and you can just keep repeating that for creative stuff like writing a book. And even if it's not a creative book, it still is a creative task. It's a little bit different. Getting back into that creative flow is actually pretty challenging. It has a fairly significant cost itself. So you know that and you allot part of your day to paying the productivity debt for the work that you did. And that's okay. It's just part of the price that you pay. And that's about 10 minutes for every hour, basically? About 10 minutes per hour. Now, gotcha. it's it's escalated cost, which means if you do two hours nonstop, it's probably more like 30 minutes than 20. Mm, I see. So it's kind of like a an exponential or logarithmic, I guess. Logarithmic, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, man. Is there anything that you do in your routine like that you want to share about how you, I guess, currently, you know, do your routine throughout the day and anything important that you say, okay, like I have to do this every day and this helps me a lot and why and so on? 
Yeah. Um, so morning and evening routines are really, really friggin' important. And yeah. there's a reason why every single person in the productivity space talks about them. Like they just are crazy important. Um, and I can't even tell you why I don't, I don't see very many people telling you why. Mm. Um, so our nervous system needs to have predictability. It craves predictability and it will create predictability any way that it can. So if you don't create predictability for it, our nervous system will create predictability in a way that it understands. Now, what does the nervous system understand? It understands being alert and concerned with danger around the corner. So the way that we can create predictability that, that overrides that base programming, and it will, right, is we create something that it understands because of routine, because of muscle memory, because of repetition. The evening routine that gets us into bed and it sets the stage for our mind space while we're sleeping creates that predictability. It creates deep rest. It makes it so that we can actually really get like, honestly, like my house is locked. Like, yes, there's some chance that, that a robber will break in, but it's way less a chance than, you know, 10,000 years ago that a, a wolf will decide that it wants to come sniffing around or a bear will decide it wants to come sniffing around. Like the truth yeah. is that we live incredibly safe lives um, and giving my nervous system the rest from the story of a bear might come crashing through my teepee <laughs> um, creates the opportunity for me to sleep really, really, really well. So that night, nighttime routine, like downloading everything, freeing my brain up from whatever it is that it's working on and worrying at, because that's what it does, and giving it the freedom because I do this every single day to go into rest, knowing that it's going to rest just fine. And the same thing in the morning, I'm seizing the day. I'm training myself through again, muscle memory that when I get up in the morning, I'm going to start the day in exactly the same way every single day so that I can come into the day with that certainty that was created by that routine. So the routine itself is important to me because it works, but the routine itself is really not the part that's important. What's important is that you did it. So true. And I, I can totally relate to all that because having that nervous system balance, I think, especially if you're a type A and, you know, achievement oriented type of person, I've found that the mind is very much in control. Like we have very strong minds, you know, we've, we see an opportunity to just go for it and you kind of neglect your body in the process. And uh, I, for years I wound up my nervous system so tight just from being like, you know what? It's fine. I can mm. keep working. It's two in the morning. Fuck it. Let's just do some, you know, let's mess around with emails and all, you know, stress out and customer support and all this kind of stuff. And you, you really need those, uh, the nighttime and the daytime routines, like you can control I think the morning and the evening, how you start and end the day the most, you can't really control what happens in the middle of the day. And you try, obviously you should have some things that you do, but, yeah. um, but you can at least control your morning and your evening. And that gives that, like you said, that certainty and that stability to your nervous system that helps you not start. I mean, I remember I would wake up, God, so many, we you know you can relate to this too. I'm sure when we were younger, you know, you set your alarm off like 30 minutes before work just to get as much sleep as you can. <laughs> just 
the logic behind that is so stupid. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll get that a little extra sleep, but you know, I'm going to wake up in super defense mode and almost get an accident going to work, you know? Exactly. Uh, but we don't think about that until, like you said, uh, life bops you on the head a couple of times and, yep. and you, you learn. So, and, and then you've started your day off in pure reactivity mode. So yeah, even if you exactly. get an accident on the way now, like the first three hours of your day, you're just trying to soothe yourself out of reactivity. Yeah. So true. I need to be your coworker that sits right next to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh hey, yeah. How was your day? Shut up. Shut up. But yeah, it's, I think a lot of people can relate to that and it just comes back to making intentional decisions. Uh, I call it the choreographing your, your life, you know, or choreographing the dance of your life. You know, it's just, Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I mean, for me again, with my background, it's just, uh, I'm very grateful for my background. It doesn't seem like it would relate to business and productivity, but you'd be surprised. I mean, there's so many things that I've learned from dancing and movement that I apply to my business, you know, like with, with my daily routine, you know, it, you're just making choices about how you want to move through life. It's really what it is. When we were dancing and training hard, everything had to be chosen. Like, where do you put your arm on what beat? When do you do it? How does your foot fit? How do I do this? How, you know, every fucking beat had to have like a thousand questions to it, you know? And, mm -hmm. But that also, it sounds, again, sort of analysis paralysis, but at the same time, uh, you know, once you got into your muscle memory, it allowed you to perform at a high level and reproduce that performance at a high level because you have a routine. You can't just improvise high level stuff. You might get lucky. You know, you might, the, they might play your favorite song, you know, and you might really feel it that day, but you can't rely on feeling. You need a routine uh, if you want reproducible high level results. And that's something that uh, for sure I've learned from being an athlete, but I think it applies to everything, you know, just being intentional with your choices. Yep. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. I really want to dive into that goddess provenance that you started. How, how long you've been doing that now? Year, yeah. two years? Um, you know, uh, it's kind of, uh, hmm. <laughs> uh, two weeks. <laughs> oh really? Well, yes. oh, for some reason I thought it was longer than that. that's funny. Cool. All right. Both longer and not longer. So I first started yeah. talking about it publicly about a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And I, what I was really hoping to see, and I, you know, it's only now that I even see that I was hoping to see somebody else take that idea and run with it, <laughs> mm. gotcha. which I, I don't mind admitting, like it's kind of a cowardly approach, like, <laughs> but it, you know, if you think about it, like a, a man playing in the goddess space is, um, that's a really bold step to take. And I For am sure, generally yeah. a bold person, but it took me a while to come around to this. But you have a partner that you do it with too, right? I do I have a partner, Shanae. Shanae, there you go. Yeah. Yep. She's awesome. I love working with her. We, She and I are almost of a single mind on like everything that we do. Um, mm. But it took me a while to land that partnership as well. Like, I was talking with this idea. I'd bring it to podcasts. I'd share it with other business leaders. Again, in hindsight, I see that I was hoping somebody would take it and run with it. Um, now I'm glad that it didn't work out that way. <laughs> what was your inspiration for this idea? It was a download. About it? Hmm. it was a download. Um, so a, a couple of different things that I saw just, just didn't make sense to me. And so I, you know, took some time and meditated on it and, and it, it clicked like it was a download. Um, and one of those was, um, 
the notion that and this is a this is a huge one actually um the notion that in air quotes men are the hunters and women stay inside the village and and take care of the village and i'm like there there's always been something about that idea that like dragged at me like that doesn't make sense but i didn't really understand why mm. and the download was why why it doesn't make sense well if we think about it, we're, we're not particularly effective hunters without two things, tools and skills. We don't have deep muscle, muscle density. Like we can't run up to a rhino, rip its leg off with our bare hands and beat it to death. Like that <laughs> we, we simply are not that animal. Um, we don't have teeth. We don't have claws without tools and skills. We're more or less not very effective as hunters, right? Now yeah. we do have tools and skills and here's the thing. As soon as you have tools and skills, men and women are effectively equal. Mm. And so it always dragged at me this idea that men are the hunters. And I was like, there's something missing about that. Doesn't, doesn't hold water, but I don't know why. And that download that tools and skills are equal. Those are the great equalizers. Those equalize us with tigers. If they don't, like, honestly, if that, if that equalizes human with tigers, then why, why would it not equalize men and women? Hmm. Women do have, uh, I think, better hand-eye coordination than men or something. I, I don't know if I, I'm getting that right, but for some reason, my brain seems to have remembered this useless fact, if it is a fact, that women have better hand-eye coordination or they're, they some something about better pilots or something. I don't know. <laughs> Something's coming to my brain. <laughs> I yeah. suppose it's possible that that's not one that I spend time on. Yeah. But once you look at it, functionally speaking, skills and tools are the great equalizer. And thus, there's no reason why men and women didn't go hunt together. Yeah. And, and that, like that realization really drove home to me that there's a lot there about the, the, the value of working together with women, not necessarily working together for the good of the village in separate tasks, but working together on every task hmm. that, that we as a culture were missing. In what ways do you mean specifically? Well, starting with that one, like if, if we use skills and tools to be a successful animal, which we do, then, then there is no meaningful difference between men and women. The fact that men are larger is almost entirely irrelevant, hmm. right? Uh, if, if we're both shooting a bow, does the fact that a man is larger mean that he's going to be a more effective hunter? Probably not. Like very, very minute circumstances that that will matter. Mm. Um, and so what else that we do in our life, what else is more effective as a fully, completely coordinated team without regard to sex? Or maybe even because of the fact that we're completely coordinated with, uh, with both sexes is even actually better and I started looking around at our culture and I'm like, why is it that all CEOs are men? What's going on here? Is it because we as a culture are sexist? And if so, where does that come from? And how do we return to a state of balance? 
And that idea sort of drove me into um, what does balance actually look like? Where is balance playing out in our lives? And that's when I started really getting into the energy thing, which was fun. Um, and that's where the goddess provenance. Yeah, no, I, I can completely agree with that because having studied, you know, obviously my background doing athletics, it was a very gender clear activity. You had mm-hmm. guys and girls, you know, dancing with each other and training. You know, it was very, very much defined energies. You had the masculine energy, you had the feminine energy. And it didn't mean necessarily that, um, and what I, what I think is important for people to understand is that just because you're a male or a female doesn't mean that it's just one one way of doing things. You have basically, I, I believe everybody should master both the masculine and the feminine within their life. Uh, and obviously, you know, there's going to be parts of you that are never going to change. You know, there's, you know, parts of you that may be more aggressive or, or more receptive and that's okay. You know, that's going to be your personality, but I think understanding your opposite has always been a valuable thing for me in, in, in my own life. And in, in even just working with other people, it's just really, how can we learn that opposite? You know, if I'm very masculine driven, you know, what is the wisdom of the feminine feminine have to teach me and vice versa. If I'm very feminine, you know, what can masculine teach me? I think that is missing. I think that's missing, especially in the corporate world, because like you said, it is very um, masculine energy driven. I think it's, it's not just necessarily sexism, but really it's just this approach in general of society, especially corporate entrepreneurism, whatever, where we value certain values that are very masculine, like, okay, you know, hustle and grind, go for it, you know, push, get the outcome, blinders on focus. And all those things are good, but you know, we don't tend to see value in the things that are less obvious, like patience or surrender or receptivity, or, you know, going outside for a walk, you know, and that can help you be productive too. actually can help you be even more productive than grinding an extra hour. Like we were just talking about. So, or, Ford's employee who was sitting around with his feet up on his desk. Yeah. There you go. Two ideas a year and you, you earn your bread. I mean, that's that's way more than his bread. Yeah. (laughs) A million bucks back then. Yeah. That's crazy. It's actually a million dollars. Huh? Wow. That's the quote. I mean, I I wasn't there, but that's the quote. Why do you think it's important? I mean, we both believe it's important, but why do you think it's important for people to, have an understanding of both the masculine and the feminine in their life and their careers, business, whatever, wherever you want to take that. Yeah. You know, um, I think that when people call the energy of work masculine, I think that what they're saying isn't really that it's masculine. What they're saying that it's unbalanced and they, and we just don't have the language to say that. Well, anyone who's listening now does. We don't have the language to say it's unbalanced, not necessarily that it's masculine, but that it's unbalanced. And we can look at corporate culture and pinpoint all the things that are wrong with it and be like, that should change and that should change and that should change. And yeah, you're right. All those things should change. I would posit, and it's hard for us to prove this without testing. I would posit that just trying to be balanced will affect those things automatically. Mm. And um, so that's a, a weird way of saying the more that we seek balance 
and you have to understand the full spectrum of the energies that you're living in yourself and the people that you're cooperating and coordinating with. You have to understand the full range of those energies in order to seek balance. The more that we seek balance, the less we're going to make mistakes like what we see in, let's call it toxic corporate culture. Yeah. I'm using the air quotes when I say toxic because I don't really <laughs> think it's toxic. I think it's unbalanced. And yeah. the effect of that unbalance is toxicity. And that's that's a good point, especially, you know, we, we kind of, I don't know, not so much anymore, but we did have a period a couple of years ago where everybody was just, just I think, kind of man-hating, honestly, you know, with this whole toxic masculinity thing. I mean, whatever you think about it, but I, I do agree that it's more, imbalance and anything that's in balance will lead you into a wall. Obviously you have to have dynamic balance. Even when you're walking to your point about walking, I mean, we're swinging our arms in opposition all the time. So we constantly need opposition in order to have dynamic balance. And so I think if you walk like a penguin or Frankenstein, then yeah, you're probably going to, you know, uh, be lopsided and might fall or trip or something, but. And over time you'll have hip damage. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. Right. I mean, especially if you've done chiropractic or any kind of stuff like that on your body, you know, like so many little positions or repetitive movements over time, everything has a cost. And it's just crazy how that body adapts. Right. I mean, I remember I haven't gotten chiropractic in a while, but it's just so funny how I remember, you know, your hip might be up like, you know, freaking half an inch or something. And then, you know, your knees start hurting because it's all adjusting. It's this fluid matrix of fascia and connective tissue. And it's just, blows my fucking mind anyway. <laughs> it's amazing. Our our bodies are truly amazing. They yeah. really are, you know, and I think the more you get into it, the more you you're just left with this profound respect for the gift that you have and not to waste it. Yep. You you mentioned kind of this whole toxicity thing and I'm I'm really curious cuz on the Goddess Providence, one of the I guess, goals or days, I think, of the event, you guys talk about what the wounded archetype of masculine and feminine looks like. And so that's really important too. And maybe I think that plays into what we just talked about. So do you want to expand on that? What does that mean? So people who are listening who haven't heard of that might be able to understand. I love it. Yes. That's one of my favorites. Oh, you good. know what? All those days are my favorite. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so uh, here's one of the things that I tell everybody who goes through it. Um, toxic is an effect, not a cause. Um, wounded, and and I think this is really important. Now, this is not the language that you hear in the industry today, but wounded isn't somewhere we sit. That's not how nature works. You don't get a wound and just bleed for days or weeks or months or years. Like that's simply not how it works. Your Mm -hmm. body will seek some way to return to equilibrium. It'll close off those blood vessels. It'll close off your skin. Like when we get a wound, we either heal or we die. And the the decision point between the two of those things is fairly quick, right? So you might be wounded, but you're going to be wounded from something that happened today. And people that carry around this notion that they have to heal their childhood wounds, I would argue, are actually inviting toxicity into their life. We're not wounded. We already healed. We're not broken. We already healed. That's the way our bodies work. That's the way nature works. 
now. <laughs> and this is important. This is the reason we have physical therapy, right? This is the reason we have chiropractic. You may have healed in a way that could be improved. Like scar tissue. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's important to keep in mind. We're not broken. We've already healed. That doesn't mean that we can't improve. Mm. And so what, what I talk about on that day in the wounded energy, one is I show people what um, wounded looks like and feels like, and I talk them through it. But second is I empower them to accept that they've already healed and that their job now is to integrate the lessons from the wound that happened in the past. It's done, we've healed, but we may not have fully integrated and take those lessons and do the physical therapy, do the work so that we can become a stronger, better version of ourselves. So an example, and this is well-documented. If you break your leg and you're a healthy adult, the place that you broke 18 months after that break will actually be stronger than it was before the break. Wow. Really? It's called, it's the, the physical principle is called Wolf's law, W O L F F Wolf's law. Hmm. Wolf's law says that your body grows in proportion to the stresses placed upon it. Very simply, if you break your leg and it heals and it heals well, it will be stronger when the healing is done than it was before. Similarly, people who do martial arts and they work their fists out. Part of the reason they work their fists out is because you create microfractions in the bones of your hand and those microfractions then heal and your hand becomes stronger. So it can take a harder hit the next time. Hmm. I remember actually, that's so funny. You mentioned that I had a, I took karate as a kid. We had this old like Okinawan Japanese guy and he would just teach us to hit these boards with his fists and you could see his fists were just these nubby, like wrinkly, but they were just so hard. I mean, he could just sit there hitting the freaking floor or whatever we were hitting, you know, for forever. And it would just wouldn't bother. Him. I was like, damn, man, like this guy is intense. <laughs> so that's funny. You just made me think of that. Yeah. Uh, Not just his bones, his skin too. And my guess yeah. is that if you were touching his skin, it wouldn't have been all covered with calluses, which is what you would expect. Yeah. It would feel soft and supple but the skin had grown to the point where it recognized that those impacts didn't require it to split. It had tensile strength. It had the, the, the capacity to hold itself together, hmm. even, be, even despite the impacts of, of hitting that board, right? And that's just the way that the body works. So if you give yourself the opportunity to integrate the experience and the learning, which is kind of what's going on when you're punching those boards and grow stronger from it, like going to PT, physical therapy, right? The same thing can be done emotionally and spiritually. You take the challenges that you've had in the past, you integrate them, you turn them into learnings, you make yourself into a better, stronger, more powerful version, a, a more ideal version of yourself, always improving, always getting better, always getting stronger. So you're not wounded. You don't need to heal, but you do need to integrate and you do need to grow. I love that. That's so cool. That's uh, kind of reminds me of those Japanese. Um, gosh, I don't remember what the hell they are. Oh, there's a name for it, but they break the pottery and then they seal it back with gold. Oh yeah. I love um, that. I don't know I, the name. There's a name for it. There's, it's a whole 
process obviously that they go through, but it's basically a reminder that, you know, your, your wounds are your greatest gifts. I only say that, but I think your wounds are your, your greatest gifts in a sense, because they make you stronger and they teach you about life. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I mean, I'm excited for your uh, event and, you know, you guys do, is it like you have regular times throughout the year that you do these events or what's the plan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, last week was amazing. Uh, we okay. didn't know what to expect or two weeks ago. We didn't know what to expect. And, uh, we had a hundred women sign up. Wow. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Brand new straight out the gate, hundred women signed up. Um, it was phenomenal. Um, cool. high levels of participation. I think we had 63 people on our, on our call on Monday, which is crazy high. Wow. That's really good. Um, and the, the material came out, we had really good reviews. So, um, we're, we're definitely doing it again. We're picking the dates. So anybody who goes to the the website will be able to see when we pick the next date. We will definitely continue to do this. So maybe monthly, maybe bi-monthly, whatever it is, we haven't figured that part out yet. Yeah. Maybe do it like uh, some sort of membership program or something. Who knows? Yep. Cool. Yep. Those are on deck. We don't, we don't know how it's going to work out, yeah. but, but those are on deck. That's cool, man. Well, one more question for you. What are you most grateful for today? Mm. Mm. Simple things. Honestly, um, you, your, your listeners can't see this, but I'm wearing a uh, blue undershirt. Mm. Why am I talking about a blue undershirt? What kind of weirdo is this you have? <laughs> it's, um, it's really fine fabric wool. And it feels really good on my skin. <laughs> what what um, brand is it? It's Icebreaker. Icebreaker. Okay. And no, cool. they're not paying me to say that. I just really <laughs> like the feel of it. Like it just feels yeah. good. And it reminds me, and I'm excited to be wearing it because it reminds me to just be grateful for the simple things. You know, good mm-hmm. coffee. Um, I was able to stand up when I got out of bed this morning. Like how many people can't say that? Very true. And I have this amazing undershirt on that just keeps me in that state of gratitude because it feels good all the time. Okay, everybody. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend Lucas. You know, so many great golden nuggets in that episode. Uh, you know, now more than ever, like I said, we have an opportunity to adapt and to obtain even more importantly than this than adapting. It's really obtaining more freedom around our work, regardless if you're an entrepreneur or if you have a career, you know, working from home and being more productive in the time that you're working so that you have more time to do the things that you want to do and other things that you want to do. Not to say that you don't want to work, but you know, sometimes, uh, you know, all work and no play is also no good either. So we have an opportunity more than ever, to really create the life we love today. So I hope this episode really empowered you to do that. If you want to connect with Lucas, make sure you go check him out at lucasroot.com. And I'll put the link again in the show notes for this episode. Let's not forget good old Bruce Lee taking it away for us. If you love life, don't waste time. For time is what life is made up of. I couldn't agree more, my friend Bruce Lee. I could not agree more. That's such a great quote. You know, time is all that you have. And this just echoes what we were just talking about, which is take the opportunity that's right in front of you right now today. I'm sure something in this episode, if you're still listening, something in this episode 
really connected to you. Take the opportunity, whatever it is that's speaking to you, and take it today. You know, life is what you make it. And I do believe we're all children of God. We're all here to create and co-create with the divine. This is part of our experience here. So take the opportunity, play, enjoy, fail, you know, create. Don't be afraid. Create the life that you want. We live in an age where this is more possible than ever before. What a gift. So hope this has served you. Hope you've enjoyed and hope you have a great rest of your weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday for a little Transformation Tuesday. As always, don't forget, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.